Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a part of which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we've decided to make this episode and all of our episodes a drinking game. Uh-huh. So anytime we say anything negative at all about the film, about our te- wonderful sponsors, we're going to play this sound. That sound means we need to take a drink and we hope you drink along with us. So, pour yourselves a glass as we go back to 76 with a movie that redefines if at first you don't succeed, try again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> oh, that's oh, on the back of a shot. That's a spoiler. That's a spoiler. Oh my God, that's so funny. All right, people, we are going to be talking about films from 1976, Woo! and we have chosen for this installment The Tenant, which is a Roman Polanski film. It is the film he did after Chinatown. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. If that just if that spiked anybody's back hair, us just saying that out loud, we could talk about it just a little bit, but we, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it a little yeah. bit, understanding the importance of all that kind of stuff, but but we want to talk about the movie. We have already done a 1976 episode in our feed from way back in the day in COVID. It's my angriest did, episode ever. Well, because of the last movie, but we did three <laughs> movies at the time. So we were good and toasty by the end because the drinks are real, people. Go ahead and watch our YouTube. The drinks are real. We did Taxi Driver. We did Network. That's right. Just a casual little uh, yeah, easy little flick. And so we decided to try to prop up a terrible film and test our gimmick of buzzing when we say anything negative with... Dave, what was it? Stay hungry. Stay hungry. You want to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger play the violin? Watch Stay Hungry. You want <laughs> you know to watch what? Dave get mad? <laughs> watch our episode or listen to our yeah, episode. Uh, it's actually on the, the YouTube. There's, uh, there's going to be a little card that pops up. If you click on that, you'll see me as the most angriest motherfucker in the world after watching this movie. The other day I was trying, I had in my mind's eye this shot of this old man like clock dancing. And I was like, what is that from? Yeah. It's that sequence. Oh it's my God. Yeah. yeah dude. Old man Where he just, just, like, he just turns up and no adequately. Don't, 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 don't get me started. It's my problem. Oh I'll work through it. Okay. That yeah. movie, oh. it, it really stars a young Jeff Bridges and a young Sally Field, but Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's I, young. I, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's young. <laughs> And he's really trying to be like a nice, tender, sweethearted, like borderline rom-commy guy. And Dave didn't work for Dave. Um, so John, you want to didn't work for me in that. So anyway, so we'll talk about ni- films from 1976, and then this year' film, The Tenant, Damn. starring, starring, <laughs> starring writer Wrong director Roman Polanski. But first, John, good joke. Go Wrong movie. Sh- you want to go ahead and shout our sponsors out? Yeah, yeah, I'll shout them out. Actually, you can shout yourself out. There's another laugh if you're not watching, if you're just listening. There's a fourth person here. Dasein is back yes. with us uh, this week. He's here to, to talk about The Tenet and to also tell you a little bit about some uh, some music that is coming out on all available streaming platforms. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. Uh, what do you got coming out? What are you promoting? What are you here? Awesome. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me again. Had a lot of fun last time, so I know we're going to have fun this time, too. Uh, I think you're referencing the newest EP that just came out, um, which Ooh. is Selected Nessian Inter- uh, Interludes, Volume 1. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, it contains two tracks that are going to serve as interludes in this kind of larger Nessian project that I'm working on and will probably be working on until I go to my grave. 
Let's just take, just it. take it quite a, a while. Let's just unpack that for a second. I think you're talking about this new shit I've got coming out, not the <laughs> other new shit I've got coming out. But how much new yeah. shit have you got coming out? There, there's there's a lot of plates spinning right now. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, did I tell you about this piece? It is, it's basically going to be like, how long do you think it's actually going to be when it's done? Five hours, seven hours? God like, knows. It's, it's, it's something. It's like in- this massive. It's your Proust. Yeah. It is your remembrance. In, in search of lost time. It's, it's, yeah. the kind of, it's the kind of thing you, you start at a party and it's still going when the party's over. Oh, my God. And, it ta- and you take yeah. a journey if you know what I'm saying. You know what's yeah. really great, though? It's so, it's so fucking long. There's so much to get to it. He's releasing it bit by bit, but the nature of your music, you can drop in anytime, folks. Yeah. Just listen to any of these interludes. They stand alone. It's really, really beautiful. So anyway, I was about, I was about to, to compare it to the Green Mile, but you can't drop that into that anytime. Yeah, that'd be confusing. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, the Green no, Mile. No, I, I bought I bought it in installments when it first came out. I got, I got it in the original. That's so he wrote, cool. Yeah, he wrote yeah, I remember like a you mentioning that on the yeah. podcast at one point. I'm so jealous. I have the collection of the six volumes or whatever mm. as it came out. That must have been so fun. Yeah, I had to wait like a month yeah. for each one. Yeah. Dave, I think Did- that was one of the first things you and I connected on when you told me that you had, when he had first moved into the apartment, he said he had written, he'd read every single word written by Stephen King. And I was like, oh. Yeah. I'm a couple oh. behind now. Jesus. He's, he's, we're get along. Cause, yeah. Because he's <laughs> like, George R.R. Martin, parties. he is fucking not. He's churning them out like crazy. So I'm a, I'm yeah. a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit behind. I have yeah. a feeling he also wrote the sixth Game of Thrones book for fun. And literally, so probably, just sitting on and it. he probably sent it to George R. R. Martin and said, "If you don't release your six oh. book in one year, either I'm him or Brandon Sanderson." <laughs> oh yeah, like, Sanderson. George, also George, I've written two of them. Look, <laughs> we're having fun. We're glad you're on the show. Welcome back, folks. That was a fun little chit chat. Nineteen. 19- <laughs> 70 fucking six yeah this is my favorite part of the episode we're doing the random year generator it's my fault you're welcome jeff this is my favorite part of the episode tell <laughs> Wait, me <I> own it. <laughs> and the listeners at home take me back what happened in the year of 1976 in the world of cinema okay we do have a rant and we do have a mini review though so should we do those oh, before sure. we get into oh. 1976 yeah we should year? yeah we should you can or do we want to just... just tease them no we should we should well, no, we'll go through. Me. No, no, no. Let's do it. Let's do the rants and let's do a mini review and then we can properly get into it. That's okay. my fault. Does anybody else have a rant? No. Nope. Just okay, you. Go ahead. Why don't you go for it? Yeah. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Here we go. Okay, guys. Febreze is fucking bullshit. <laughs> Febreze is horse shit. I can't tell you the amount of times recently that I've either used Febreze or somebody else has, and I, I feel bad for them knowing that I it just it's dense. It just it just makes the poop smell denser and chemicalier, and you walk uh, into a fucking wall and you're just adding to the poop smell. You're not eliminating the poop smell, it's terrible. Whereas the Trader Joe's fucking poopery thing, it leaves the room feeling like you just had a fucking diffuser in there how with much this poop fucking you're in natural the house? oilers. How much <laughs> Can I buzz someone else during my rant, Dave? So I like, yeah, I, I I did a show this I did a show this weekend, and I I there was one toilet in the dressing room, and I just had to do it. It was like five minutes before we went on. It's oh, ninety no, minutes. I had no time, and I had to do it. And I had the spray, and I was like, this is the ultimate test. And I did it, and it was great. The next person came in, I was like, did the spray work? And it was like, it smelled great in there. And I was like, yes. What the fuck is wrong with Febreze? Step your shit up. Mm. T- Trader Joe's poopery. <laughs> 
Whatever it's, it's called. Yeah, I don't know. It's called <laughs> poo poopery. That makes sense. Febreze. It's is like poopery with a solid T. You know the so decongestants? You're talking specifically about Febreze bathroom yeah. spray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For when you decide to, you know, Oppenheimer the bathroom just before the show starts. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, talk about a faux pas. Doing it in the dressing room. It's like when you're on the, the fucking uh, touring bus. Oh. The tour bus. And yeah. Sometimes you just got to go in there, I guess. Oh, it's bad. No number two rule gets broken very quickly. Also, you know how the decongestant, they turned out like they are like they don't actually work as much. It's like all mental. Like, you know, yep. have you heard this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brandon, you're a doctor. Brandon, I laughed so loud at the last time you were on where I was like, therapy's great, right, Brandon? No, but you, you, you are studied in this field. Have you heard about this where the decongestants don't actually work? I have One not. I've never thought that the fake Sudafed, the phenylephrine, I've never thought that did shit. Sudafed. Yeah, that's the one. Wow. That's the one. Is that what you're talking about? Because yeah. that was proven. Not that yeah. all decongestants. Yeah. No, not all. But there, the, there's like, yeah, just there's like bullshit. Yeah, there's an ingredient. They, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the one. I want them to test Febreze. I want them to retest it. <laughs> okay. A wow. scientific Febreze, study. That was a sponsor. That was a long road. Okay. Febreze, if you'd like to up your game and then sponsor this show, yeah. <laughs> I've, gone, I've gone. I've gone past my minute, guys. Oh yes, I have. We have at least one mini review. Has anybody else seen the new release that unfortunately we couldn't do as a podcast, but also everybody's talking about it now, and we wanted to talk about a Roman Polanski movie instead? Who else besides our friends? Say brothers. Both say brothers. Yeah, Dave. Dave, yeah. you and I are eating popcorn for this one. All right. Yep. Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese's miniseries that he released as a theatrical picture. <laughs> no, honestly, the runtime, I, I don't give a shit about it. Except it's three that and a half find, except, except that I can't find time to see it. But the fact that it made $23 million domestically in another whatever, it made like $47 million internationally. And that's, that's wild for this. Apple's best movie in theaters to date. Guys, talk to us about Martin Scorsese's potential last or maybe one of his last ever films. Let's go. I'm going to say this uh, to kick us off, Brandon, just because I know this isn't this is going to be a long talk. I loved it. I think Brandon loved it. Yeah, it's it's a masterpiece. Uh, Leonard Malton, the famous film critic, um, he teaches a class at this this school I go to here in Los uh, Angeles. And I what a way of starting your uh, speech here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll buzz you, motherfucker. Screens, you know the rules. He screens these big movies and has you know big writers and directors come in. And I kind of snuck into this one. I got his, I got Elizabeth and I into it. And he, I thought he had a really great way to introduce the film. He just said a few words. And he basically just said, I saw this a few nights ago at the Directors Guild. And he said, I'm still turning over in my mind how to classify this movie. I'm not sure how to describe the genre of this movie because it kind of handles a bunch of different things. And I guess I guess that's just something that I would say in my mini review, aside from the fact that it's brilliant and you should go see it, I think it might be reductive to call it a crime story or a Western or a historical oh, yeah. pick. It kind of transcends all of those things which is so exciting. If you're a Scorsese fan or if you're just a fan of movies in general, this is a, it just happens to be made by a brilliant man who's at the t- end, of, not end of his career, but is at the, the latter stages of his, well, of his the, life. I would say both. Still, oh, come on. He is One ends, the other ends, dude. Himself. Sorry, I'm drinking, I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. He is still pushing himself so hard that he ended up making <clears> something that I don't know if I've ever really seen a movie that's quite like this before. 
Yes, Jeff. I think some of that is because of the form. It's a very, very long story. And they found an interesting way into this story with the way that they, the perspective that they chose on, from what I've heard about the book, ends up spending a very long period of time and deals with a lot of historical points. Um, it's incredibly authentic, incredibly well-directed. The performances are, are, are fantastic. And yeah, because of the form, it kind of feels different than your typical movie. Um, so I have, you know, for me, two thumbs way up. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I think it probably is going to win Best Picture. I think we're going to see some best acting. I think Eric Roth, who I got to see speak uh, after the movie. <laughs> Not the woke mob has anything to say about it. I know. The screenwriter okay, okay. was there. Um, and he said some really beautiful things. Somebody brought up at this little talk back that there were members of the Osage tribe who did say they wish it was from a different perspective. Screenwriter Eric Roth had a beautiful take on that, that while he respected it, they chose to tell it from this perspective and that there were a lot of commercial and artistic reasons why that may have created a greater chance of success of people experiencing this movie. I'm going to leave you with this anecdote because I thought this was so fucking brilliant. He could not stop talking about Martin Scorsese and his collaboration with Martin Scorsese, who shares the screenwriting credit with him because Eric Roth wrote this screenplay years before they got on board. Martin Scorsese said to him, as we start rewriting, we must have culpability throughout. We must be culpable the entire time while we're writing this. And I just thought that was brilliant direction from the jump. So in the spirit of that, the uh, Osage member who spoke up at that premiere also said that they thought it was a very authentic portrayal. They were mostly just criticizing the choice to have that perspective. But I think in having Leonardo DiCaprio's character's perspective, we are all culpable. It's not the villains. We are the antiheroes. And I think that made me feel even grosser while I was watching it. So I thought it was extremely effective. I'm sorry, I talked a lot. Brandon, what did you think? No, I think okay, that's, that's all the time a... we've got for that segment. So we'll, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's worth it, though. For a three-hour and 30-minute movie, that's probably proportionally correct. What did you think, Brandon? Uh, I think that's really interesting what you were saying. And I will say that I didn't know any of the details of the production or the, any sort of woke controversies around. I do nothing about that. I do nothing about what kind of genre, how it was pitched, nothing. I went in as cold as possible. I saw the trailer and I tried, every time I saw it, I tried not to look at it because I did not want any sort of bias. I wanted to go in as cold as possible. And because of that, while I was watching it, I thought about none of that. I was completely absorbed in this incredible story. Me too. I, and honestly, I did not feel the runtime maybe until the last like 30 minutes, but that was just because I was kind of sleepy like already and I'd just been sitting there a while. But like as far as like the storytelling, it's paced incredibly well Dude, for a movie that, that long. And Are you listening, film fans? It's like Lawrence of Arabia. You don't feel the time. Yeah. Thelma Thute Shoemaker cut the fucking shit out of this thing. It feels... Um, just, than that. just quickly though, through. like I, because I, I don't have Twitter anymore. So what's the conspiracy that we're talking about? The upset? There's no real big upset, but at the premiere, some members of the Osage community, somebody spoke on their behalf and said that apparently, and I'm just saying this secondhand from mm. somebody who brought this up to Eric Roth in a Q and A. Um, they said that they said I, it's a shame, or some version of they criticized, or it was a shame, or whatever that the perspective was not the Osage perspective. Oh, but one okay, thing, yeah. it sort of is, because Molly is a big character. And I was just saying that, on the other hand, they also said in the same breath or in the same comment, 
that they still felt it was a very authentically told story. Mm. It was just a question of perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think there's that much controversy around it. Okay, cool. Yeah, because uh, I was, yeah. was going to say, it's like you tell, tell the story how the story yeah. is told. It's, yeah. You, if you start messing with things like that, you, you, you may get something just not as good because i mean he had yeah. a specific story he wanted to tell i'm getting mm-hmm. uh dave i'm so glad you said that because eric roth's first response was with respect to your question i really hate that question because you're asking an artist why they made a choice that that's none of your business really he, he hmm. almost was saying like yeah. we chose to do that yeah and i hope I'm- if you're questioning the justification or whether or not we achieved the expression of that choice and that goal that's a different conversation and also someone outside but he the said it tribe, respect, it's not really their place to tell that story. So, you know, some yeah. more uh, Native American filmmakers. Well, well, and also, yeah. In that DGA thing too, which I think, so this also happened during the pandemic, the rewriting of it with Scorsese. I think they were already working on it before, but we talked forever during the pandemic. We were like, there's so many people that are churning up butter right now, man. They're doing it right now. Hmm. Were. But especially once they got Leo on board, they were like, oh shit. And it really did. I mean, when you have Leo say, like, I would like to play this role, but I think according, I haven't seen this movie. So, but according to Scorsese, the one thing, not only having Leo, but even before he got Leo to have Molly Burkhart say just the, the one thing that you need to know is that Molly and Ernest were in love. And I think that also yeah. kind of gave permission to Scorsese and Eric Roth to sit there and say, okay, by using Leo's perspective, that is a culpable way but also because he is in love he is essentially in love with the tribe which is not an excuse right but it is it's not it's not one and then the other there is there is an adjoinment that has happened in a way so even though it is on this one side it is adjoined to that i think so that might have been helpful jeff dave yeah you you guys are going to be what you're saying is like the treasure of this right. movie. Exactly. The way they navigate the storytelling of the conflict and lack of conflict of the way this man is kind of playing both sides almost inadvertently out of this loyalty to his his uncle, Bob De Niro, who is 100% pitch perfect in this fucking film. Jeff, you're going <laughs> to fucking have a panic attack. Bob De Niro gives one of the greatest <laughs> Where has he been? I just, of his career. He's been doing comedy. Just, Brandon, did you think so? I, 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 watched he was a, fucking... I watched a Sleepy Bob movie this week that'll bring up at the end of the... Sleepy Bob. <laughs> Sleepy Bob. That's so good. I mean, dude, right on the heels of The Irishman. These are two of his oh. best performances. Yeah, true. It's, a, it's incredible. I mean, I mean it's, it's unbelievable. This fantastic. motherfucker is like 80 years old and he's still getting better. And he's still having children. It's wild. <laughs> you can't so stop anyway, him. <laughs> Brandon, unless there's anything else you wanted to say about it. I mean, I could say a lot more, but I'll just say go fucking see it, dude. It's, go see it, it is I just, a tragic masterpiece. Hmm. I mean, the, see it and talk about only it. the best could have made a movie like this, and it shows. I mean, he is at... He is still of killing them. it, you guys. Yeah, he is still killing it. I just want to emphasize one more time, because I thought it was so important that you led with that in your review even if you have seen the trailer which i you know i go to see movies all the time so i had seen the trailer but i was trying to like not learn as much as i could about it they congrats and you know silent applause to apple they did a brilliant job marketing this you do not know anything about this story yet unless you've read the book i was i was so i've seen every trailer they released and i still felt like i didn't really know what was happening until it was happening so congrats on the marketing. You did a fantastic job. The filmmaking's amazing. I think it's I think it's a, a goddamn masterpiece, and I can't yeah. wait for everybody to go see it. Okay. 
Well Wait, the last thing I want to say is I heard two critics say, I never thought I would hear this, but they were like, I'm glad I saw it a second time. Two people both were like, yeah, me too. And they're like, I know it's long, but the second time I saw it, it was like, oh my God. So how wow, wild is that? That's huh? almost a work it day. Feels, it that's feels a work, like that. It's a work day worth <laughs> a movie. It feels like the kind of, you could definitely yeah. watch this movie a You're second You almost time. going to overtime. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to take <laughs> in. So I could see that. All right, but you needed you a day right. to recover from it too. Shit. That like rocked me. Big when time. I was in the theater, I remember thinking like, I'm either never going to watch this movie again, or I'm going to watch it like 20 more times. Yeah. Like, I, like, as was <laughs> I was like, I might never see, this is so intense, yeah. but also <laughs> anyway, if there's never the lockdown, we're doing Irishman beginning to end whole thing. Let's go. We're getting our pods. All right. 1976, 1976 in film. You guys ready? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you guys know what the highest grossing movie of 1976 was? Trying hard now. That's right. It has to be Rocky. It has to be Rocky. Best picture. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> best picture and best director winner at the Oscars, Rocky. And no, Stallone did not direct the first movie, people. <laughs> Every time you do it, I'm going to fuck That's right. You. We've all heard the stories about Stallone getting it made and having to sell his dog and then buy the dog back and all that shit. But that's right. John G. Avildsen did end up winning the Oscar for Best Director. And Incredible. it made $55 million that year with re-releases. It has gone on to make over $200 million at the worldwide box office. Did, including... that, did that win screenplay as well? Because that Rocky still gets referenced in No, uh, it didn't. And in, No, because in, I'll tell you. In courses. Like well, it's, but I'll it's tell you. the golden okay. child. Well, if you want to jump ahead to that, uh, two teeny tiny films called Network and All the President's Men ended <laughs> up winning Oscars for yeah. screenwriting that year. So steep competition. Two of the greatest screenplay yeah. writers of all time up against a newcomer. Yeah, he probably would have won otherwise, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I, I don't think he had a chance in the acting category. He wasn't nominated, but uh, Peter um, Finch, Faye Dunaway, and Beatrice Strait, all three came from Network. And then Jason Robarts won for All the President's Men. Again, those two movies cleaned up at the Oscars. But three three Oscar winners for the same movie in the acting categories. This only happened one time before. Anybody know what movie it was? Ooh. It wasn't fucking Avatar. So, Avatar. Dave, shut up. <laughs> Silence? The Andrew Garfield Silence movie? No, no, no. Oh, Silence of Limbs. No, 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 no. No supporting. Because of the that. supporting? We need a nope. supporting in there? Nope. And, and the funny thing about the answer to this is that it's... Um, there's a, there's a twist. Give me the year. Ooh. This will be fun. Uh, if you nine, don't know it, it's fun. Sorry. 1951. 1952. Okay. You got me. There. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> what it's, is a, it? it's a streetcar named Desire. And Marlon oh, Brando yes. is oh, wow. the one who didn't win. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so, okay. We're back to 1976. So, Rocky, this is the third United Artists film to win in a row. Um, doing good after the other two? do you know them yeah uh marathon man and the marathon man win I, I wrote them down somewhere shit i'm going through my notes fuck uh it uh i'll find it <laughs> you, you guys fuck yourself um okay cool uh what else okay so here's the top 10 are you ready rocky number one a star is born number two that's right that is the barbara streisand chris chris yeah that's that's like movie, the first incarnation of it right Not that's right like first of many yeah. that's right uh king it's kong remake it's the, it's the second incarnation. It's the second. Yeah. The first one's from Judy Garland. Judy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she, everybody thought she was going to win the Oscar and, and Groucho Marx was so fucking... I think actually a silent film version. I Jesus. Third. <laughs> no. Get, no. It's a silent musical. 
<laughs> Make it stop. I don't know if I should buzz you or not. Okay, <laughs> King Kong was number three. You got to give it up. Silver Streak was number was number four according to this list here. All the President's Men, The Omen, Bad News Bears, The Enforcer, In Search of Noah's Ark, and then Midway came in. Uh, there's different lists though. So with re-releases and stuff, The Bad News Bears sneaks its way in. That's another really fun movie. And this fucking movie called To Fly somehow got on here to fly with an exclamation point and i looked it up it's some bullshit like early imax experiment that was like in parks and shit and somehow oh over yeah the, it I like ran that. in some theater for ages and ages and ages i'm sure you did because you know you have the time period here so like it just like kept running forever and it was Scared like a dollar the fuck out of me man they put they put the, you, the camera was on the front of what you thought was a car because they showed a car and it's speeding across a field pointing at the ground and it turns out it wasn't a car it was a fucking hang glider it went straight over the edge of a cliff in IMAX yeah and I'm sure yeah Walt, dude I'm sure I'm sure Walt Disney's like Epcot boner just got like uh, just like right that's it it just happened <laughs> but yeah it's like ice. a it's like Cutting a it just went right through the crack the ice is cracking it's a 27 minute IMAX movie <laughs> that cost a half a million dollars <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so that's in the list. Uh, other noticeable, uh, other notable things from 1976. All right. But all the way, just a just a spot. Palm Palm Dior winner Taxi Driver was not in the top Ooh. ten. It was. It didn't even really make that much money in 1976. Nor Network obviously wasn't in the top ten either. And those probably the two besides Rocky, the movies that have endured the most. Not that you know, A Star Is Born and The Omen are uh, you know slouches. Uh, a couple other fun things here: the Rocky Horror Picture Show was officially re-released as a midnight movie for the first time here in 1976 yep. and it at, never the, at what is at what is now the IFC <laughs> Center in Greenwich Village. Been there a lot. It's still just as dirty as it was then, I imagine. <laughs> Um, Alfred Hitchcock and John Wayne both had their last films come out this year. Michael Eisner became the CEO of Paramount Pictures and thus his reign of terror began. And then Bound of Glory debuted and it was the first motion picture in which the inventor operator used a Steadicam. However, it was the third to be released because Marathon Man and Rocky also used the Steadicam, but they filmed their movies later. But yes, the Rocky Steadicam was a bigger deal than we give it credit for. Uh, and then other movies that came out. Oh, uh, Carrie, uh, Logan's Run, uh, The Outlaw, Jesse Wales, that's Clint Eastwood. Mm. And then a couple things about the year 1976. Obviously, Jimmy Carter beats Gerald Ford and would become president next year. Uh, Songs in the Key of Life comes out. Bruce Jenner wins gold at the decathlon. Apple is founded. The $2 bill is reintroduced. And the first class of women graduated at the Naval Academy. 1976. I think the only other one I would call out is... Uh... Bugsy Malone. Oh my God, I saw that. Shout out to uh, Jack. Yeah, shout out to the brother-in-law. It's like one of his favorite movies. Kids mm. in like a... Is, is it a musical? I think so. I don't, I don't think it's a musical. I think like, it's, a, it's a... It's a straight, it's and a they're straight playing drama. Like oh. Gangsters as though they were like adults, but it's If there's kids. a musical, I don't remember any of the songs because I, mm. I saw this several times when I was a kid. It's very good. And yeah. just a little movie that I think really deserves... A little bit of limelight. It just doesn't get talked about enough. It's a little film called Stay Hungry. Jesus. <laughs> Watch the yourself. Arnold documentary. You'll learn about it. Um, and I the just worst say, part oh, is Robert, Eng Robert England re released like, a speech of Robert England saying how he thought it was going to be the turning point for everyone. It was going to be you know the best thing ever, and it's a it's a great film and all this other thing. And I'm like, oh man, I like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle, um, never meet Uncle your heroes. Uncle of the makeup. 
person I was in the car with last week. Right. Remember telling you that, Dave? I just uh, also want to say, uh, I love The Omen. I just want to say that I love The Omen. It's yeah, fuck The me Omen. Up. I know you love The for... Omen. Dave loves Carrie. And I'll call out, John Cassavetes released a film this year called The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which is just another another Cassavetes masterpiece. Oddly specific. Right. Did you shout Let's out Cassavetes last time I was on? I think you did. <laughs> What year was that? that I, I think it was for Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> he did something that year. Oh, Cassavetti. Shadows. Yeah. yeah, it was just, it was, uh, he wants, I think he, he had released Shadows. He, John knows your parents are actually going to listen to this episode, and uh, he wants to make sure they know they're getting a good education at the uh, <laughs> University of I wish we talked about Cassavetti as a USC. All right. Um, All right. Are you ready? Actually, it's funny. Uh, I, I wanted to say earlier, but a quick, quick story. Um, the USC thing that you keep drawing which is fun uh, i had a i had to do a shoot and i had to hire a new ac because as you know uh, my favorite ac moved to uh la and never came back and um so i was going through the resumes and this one woman on the bottom of her resume like it listed all the this like experience on the films and stuff and at the bottom it just had has taken every camera every camera track in the nyc film studies office and I, I, I'm like, if that's not a fucking mic drop at the bottom of your resume, <laughs> like, why well, was it, like she basically just went in? And I'm taking all your camera tracks and took every single camera track they offered. Yeah, like, that's, Wait, that's a great flex at the end. Uh, yeah, New York film. You said oh, it was NYU, the NYU. NYU. Was, yeah, it was the NYU film. Is that program. the is that the hey, Goodwill man. is that the Goodwill hunting? Hey, just so you know, your whole education could be summed up with a couple late fees at the local library. <laughs> is that like basically that version of that line? It's, it's, it is basically the version of that line. All right, are the you school, ready to? The schools are hard. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Are you ready to talk about a movie that uh, a grown man slaps a child across the face in? Let's go, people. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, we've already we've already talked about one of those. Oh no, he spanked the fuck out of him. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys, we're talking about <laughs> you filthy little devil. Whatever he said. <laughs> one um, step filthy, of filthy little brat. punching a camel. Yeah, filthy, <laughs> filthy, filthy little brat. Also. There's a lot we can say about Roman Polanski, but one thing we can all agree on is he sucks at pouring a beer. Holy shit, that was the worst fucking beer. I mean, he sucks at a lot of things, but... Okay. So easing into this here, kind of thing. Okay. I think this is one where we're just going to talk about the art, not the man. We know he's problematic, and there's probably people out there that don't want us to talk about him. Let's just go through. He did a million short movies in the early yeah, 60s. The, uh, early 60s. If you read between the lines, Poland. Jeff said fucking criminal there yeah uh, so uh, his, yeah. he somehow survived the holocaust even though he's his parents were he was in a ghetto uh and his parents were taken away and he bounced around and what a fucking anyway no excuse but just what a weird life uh he started out in poland he started making shorts there then he moved to france made some movies and then ultimately england and eventually america before he had to bounce the fuck out for reasons that i think we all know but yeah. here's if here's, anyone doesn't know just search roman polanski and 13 uh, You'll be fine. Dude, no, you won't be fine. Nuts. Brace yourself. Yeah, right that did happen after this movie, but that doesn't yeah, necessarily was, was, make it. Yeah, John, was it right after this movie? Someone was moving furniture like a second ago. It sounds like that yeah, was, was mine. It. Yeah, it was British. I thought you were very gonna... apropos of this movie. My name. Right? I'll get into it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I love it. Um. So, so here's how this here's how this goes. Again, a lot of shorts, and he had done a couple features, including Knife in the Water, uh, and something else. Honestly, I never heard of. I'm reading the fucking Wikipedia or the the IMDb. Uh, but eventually, does Repulsion, which really breaks him off about a girl with like sex dreams. I don't know how this works in 1965 when you have a movie like that where somebody who's like <laughs> with sex dreams, but she's dreaming about getting like you know sexually assaulted and stuff. Again, European 
in, and maybe because it's from Roman Polanski, we know who he is now. It's not great to talk about, but that um, like kind of broke yeah. him in. And then he does this movie called Cul de Sac. So that's sixty five, then sixty six. The Fearless Vampire Killer, 67. Rosemary's Baby, 68. So that's where he real. that's where mm. international fame and all this stuff came. Uh, but mm. every year he's he's cranking out good movies. He doesn't I mean, make bad Rosemary's movies. Baby has such a creep factor. The new series of like American Horror Story is kind of inspired by it. So, so. Heard, yeah. Macbeth, yada, yada, yada. He does this movie called What? And then Chinatown in 1974. So, you know, you have Rosemary's Baby in Chinatown. He's already basically an all timer at that point. Um, and then this is the movie he does next before he does tests and pirates and frantic etc cetera, etc cetera, all the way up to the pianist which he won an oscar for and I mean, people keep yeah. working with them it's like the woody allen thing it's like you say all, we I, we know the stories we know this stuff but people just keep working with him so it's like well anyway um it's so this is the movie he makes blind is on too this is the movie <laughs> and also we, we should also mention the sharon tate thing sharon tate was pregnant they were married and you know the manson thing happened and uh Roman Polanski was a part of that in 1969 so that predates Chinatown and the Tenant. So obviously there's a cynicism fucked up person. Anyway, let's go on with talking about the Tenant and why we chose it. Is there anything else anybody wants to add to this before we start talking about the Tenant? No, we can talk about the no, movie. No. Hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So yeah. the, the movie Tenant that was I'm gonna made read, by a lot of people. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna just read the very very brief, very brief IMDb description of the Tenant, 1976. And again, there were high hopes of this after Chinatown. Yeah. A bureaucrat, which apparently is a fancy way, a fancy word for anybody who has any government job ever, because he's a file clerk, which is no disrespect to file clerks, but it says a bureaucrat. It's like, oh, a member of the aristocracy. Uh Uh-uh, not in this movie. A bureaucrat rents a Paris apartment where he finds himself drawn into a rabbit hole of dangerous paranoia. Directed by Roman Polanski writers, Roland Topper... I believe wrote the book, Gerard mm. Brach, Roman Polanski, and it stars him. He cast himself as a, a short king of five foot three, um, a Polish person who now is French citizenship, very autobiographical. I really would like to know what you guys think this movie's about because obviously there's some, he wrote himself into this movie after Chinatown. I'm very curious as to why, and not in America. What do you guys think? Would you feel spoiler-free initial reactions? What'd you think of The Tenant? I'll go first. Jack, <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, I pushed for this, so I'll, I'll fall on the sword if you guys didn't like it, but I fucking loved this movie. I'm not Roger Ebert gave it one I star. Loved. I can't, I can't, I'm so happy. This what? is great. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was harsh on it, man. He was, he was apparently at the press screening, everyone was running out. One guy ended up getting pushed through a window because they were trying to get to the, like, the presser so fast after the screening of the film. And he's like, I don't know why. That that was the exact review he gave it. Yeah, he said, um, it's a wonder nobody was killed in, t- in the rush to get out of the theater. Wow. Jesus. Such a, John, such a keep, popular... Keep telling us about why you like... He also didn't think Jim Carrey was good. So, you know, it's, it, yeah. it happens. Okay. Not, not everyone makes good podcast. choices. Um, I mean, this is... A, if anyone has seen Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion, I mean, Polanski does really enjoy psychological descents and using a device of um, gaslighting uh, from the environment and the people around a protagonist until they kind of suffocate in their descent, convinced that the world is falling down around them, which is probably what it feels like to go insane. Um, I know we can't say that with any authority necessarily, but 
uh, I've at least seen it depicted very successfully by him and others in film. Um, and I thought this was a, another pretty strong expression of that. Initially, when I saw, you know, that he was in it, and he's acted a bunch, so it's not like Polanski never acts. Like, he does it quite a bit. Um, but initially, I was like, oh, I hope he's, I hope he can bring it. And I thought, ultimately, by the end, I really thought he brought it. I was pretty convinced and moved by by the way he underplayed a lot of moments that I think a lot of actors would have chewed up. And when he really did need to be more melodramatic and and heavy and committed in later parts of the film, I thought he I thought he really delivered. Um, God, I know I know it's complicated to speak about him, but I just think he's just he's just such a he's so good. He's such a master with how to move the camera and how to simply tell stories effectively to create tension and suspense um, psychologically for the viewer, but also around a, a protagonist. It's just so incredibly effective, especially with a story that is so simply told. This really does just very simply follow the single perspective of this person who moves into a new apartment. That's it. Like every time I see people pull off stories like this, I'm always so jealous. You know, you sit down and you're trying to write new ideas and stuff, and you think you need to do this and that and all these big things to tell a very successful movie. And then you see something like this, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like You'll just see people prove you wrong, and you're just like, well, he did it again, he did it simply. There's a bunch of fun, um, not a bunch, but there's very uh, effective uses of, of technical production design uh, to help that he did in Repulsion with... Um, building certain set pieces to different scales to try to mess with just the way certain things are perceived. Um, and I also want to shout out, because I can't say enough about him, um, anyone who has ever heard of, I'm sure you have not heard of him, the cinematographer Sven Nykvist, who, Nykvist, Nykvist, Nykvist. who filmed this. He filmed a lot for Ingmar Bergman. He filmed for Andrei Tarkovsky. He filmed for Ro mm. Roman Polanski. He filmed this, this for, one he was um, really let off the chain, though. This was... <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, he's a fucking genius. And again, just the way they moved the camera, the movement was not simple. It was there was a lot of times where there was complicated movement in a in a enclosed space. So I don't want to say it was simple. I don't want to be reductive, but it was uh, very effective in how they used an enclosed single location. Um, so I want to give him as much credit as humanly possible because I thought it was shot so well. There's a very specific moment that's really small. And I'm excited to talk about it with you, Dave, where they establish his uh, his the heightened the most I think the the like the midpoint where he really makes the turn into full on crazy when he wakes up sweaty, and they show him coming out of the bathroom. The way the camera picks him up on a very almost like it's probably an 18 millimeter lens, and he's moving towards his apartment and it's fisheye just enough, going from there to transition into his apartment with the large scale apartment set. It was just that is technical. It's so technical that's planned ahead of time. It was perfectly executed. It's so subtle. Most people probably wouldn't even notice it. Um, I don't know, you guys. I felt like I was in the hands of uh, an absolute master modern Hitchcock. I don't know what to tell you. I just feel like he nailed it. And he, he fucking right. brought it with the acting. Who's next? I'll go next. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to hear me say a lot of the same things I said before about Killers of the Flower Moon. I went into this knowing absolutely nothing about it. I had apparently put it on a list of movies that I wanted to see years ago and hadn't thought about it since then until it was brought up for this podcast. 
And I didn't know that was Roman Polanski in the lead role. I knew it was his film and that was it. I didn't even know, like, I knew the year, but I didn't know the timeline before, after Chinatown, nothing. So I went in, I didn't know it was supposed to have a horror bent to it because it really does not start that way. I had no idea what mm. to expect. And I think that's the way to go into this. So because, stop listening now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, pause right there. Go watch it. The descent that John is talking about is so, it's not linear. It's not a steady build. It kind of comes and goes and it makes you start to question what, what am I seeing? Am I seeing some of these things? Am I like adding to it? Or is it, is it just so subtle? The kinds of stuff that you're talking about technically, they start to mess with you as well. Cause I kind of didn't think this was going to turn into something as horrific as it did. And so I feel like it started to like make me feel like I was going insane. It's so effective. And it's so it's so interesting to learn that this is the same guy that did Tarkovsky's movies because I was going to liken it to the feeling that I got when I was watched something like Stalker or Mirror, where it's like you're you're sitting there questioning what the fuck is happening. <laughs> like <laughs> this is brilliant, obviously, but I don't know what's happening, and it's like that in and of itself is terrifying. So it's like a whole new way to to make you feel the horror of something that's very realistic, but turns out to be very psychotic in its nature. So all that to say, it was fucking brilliant. It looked great. It sounded great. The score is so haunting. Oh God, the score is the so score good, dude. The score is incredible. Yeah. When you I will point out that this movie, I learned this recently, this movie is the theme, the main theme that you hear at the beginning in the credits is it's kind of giving you the overture was played on a, a glass harmonic har, harmonium harmonium. I can't remember the name. This harmonium. instrument harmonium. Thank you. This instrument that was created by none other than Ben Franklin, and it's essentially like uh, wine glasses stacked inside each other that you can play almost like a keyboard. So it creates that same sound that you get when you run your finger along like a wine glass to get that tone, but you can play. Wow. A full thing. Anyway, it had gone out of fashion entirely, and then it was used in this movie, performed by the only person alive who still knew how to play it. And then in the '80s, had a huge resurgence. It was used in all sorts of compositions, popular and otherwise, afterwards. So I thought it was fascinating, and it was used to amazing effect in this movie. And when just it like opened every with other, the, when it oh, opened yeah. with the DS Day theme, did you think, "Wow, this movie's going to end well"? <laughs> that that never goes in a good direction. No, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, that theme it's it's right in the beginning, and it's like, well, we're going to hell. We're going right to hell. <laughs> yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. It's freaking incredible. Every detail of it hey. is well thought out, well executed, amazing, amazing. What do you guys think? Is it two against two, or what, what do we got? Two against two. We're not I, doing. Is it really that bad? I will. I will say, <clears throat> the first five minutes of this is exactly like trying to find an apartment in New York City. <laughs> like you have to bribe the broker. You go like you go in the bathroom somewhere down the hall. It's uh, yeah. What if I give you four thousand? <laughs> yeah, right. It's a bidding war all Please, of a sudden. Don't well, be insulted. Well, I four thousand if I get half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I will agree though. The cinematography in this is great. There are there are so many, um, like 
I want to say tricks with the equipment they had because this was a lot lower budget than yeah. I think they were used to working with. And also, he they just bought in the um, it's a the like crane dolly that they were using as well. So like you can you can see at one spot one point where they use it where it comes through a door and then around the like pivots around the door. But uh, like that opening shot, I had to rewind a couple of times. Uh, where someone changes in the window and I'm like, is that is that reprojection? Is that a mirror? What the fuck did they just do there? So that piqued my interest. And then it just lost it. It just lost it. The It didn't get me back until things started to go off the rails. And by that point, it was too late and it just became kind of comical. Um, the, guts of this, the guts of this film is nothing. There's nothing in there. Apart from Ooh. a few cool shots, there's like the writing is so weak it's almost laughable. The Ooh. dialogue is terrible. It mm. just it didn't it didn't get me. <laughs> yeah, someone's on it. It didn't get me at all. <laughs> wow. But there are some scenes that I like. That's the thing in the hidden in the middle. There's little gems mm. where there's like a scene that really works. But like by the end of it, when he's like, like because we know he takes a trip into insanity. So by that point. He's so melodramatic. The only thing that would have topped it off for me was him screaming, you're tearing me apart. And it just, <laughs> yeah, it was, it just became a joke by the end of it. Yeah. I, I did not enjoy the way like this ended. I thought it was cheap. Do you feel the same? I'm just curious to, cause this would probably clarify some perspective on it. Do you feel the same way about Rosemary's baby? Cause there did, is like no, an element of not at camp. All. To yeah, both of these, Rose, I think Rosemary's is... Baby has this sense of creeping dread that they they play with perfectly. To be honest, I think this would have worked better if when they like, because I mean I need to turn spoilers on before I go any further. So let's hear from Jeff first, hmm. and I'll answer okay. that question in a minute. The summit, spoilers is going to be so fun for this episode. Um, let me tell you how I saw this movie first. I think that's important. <laughs> As the director intended, <laughs> I had to travel this weekend and I have a very big iPad. I have a brand new 12.9 inch iPad pro. It's fucking awesome. I have noise canceling headphones. I'm wearing them now. Hey, Apple, and you I, want to sponsor this I, podcast? Was, I was traveling. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to just fucking do it. I'm going to watch it on this plane and it's going to fuck me up. Cause I'm going to be a million feet in the air. And I'm going to be like in this movie while everybody is asleep around me. And it's a chiller thriller. And I'm stuck on this fucking seat for the next two hours. I yeah, thought it turns be out you had two Karens and the flight was scarier than the film. Dave, I'm <laughs> middle of fu- <laughs> Actually, I was the Karen in the first flight because I talked the whole flight there with my friend that was next to me. It was just talked talk the whole way and I felt a little bad. I was talking very quietly, which is not good when you're going to perform, by the way. So anyway, so I watched it this morning. I woke up at 4.40 a.m. to catch a 6.07 a.m. flight. And I watched it on that 6.07 a.m. flight. That's for damn sure. So not the <laughs> evening flight on Friday that I was planning on doing it, but on the six or seven flight, everybody was asleep. Um, but wow. you know what's funny? I paused to take a nap in this, and it's it's just because I was on a six or seven flight, and I dreams <laughs> inspired <laughs> dreams about this the whole time. So I'm saying that like I know I know I took a nap in the middle of this movie, but like. Guys, I'm on a plane and I'm taking a nap in the middle of this movie. And I went right back into it, of course. I'm telling you, my dreams were fucked up because of this movie. This movie definitely stayed with me. The music for sure. So I think a contemporary audience would just say it's slow. 
Um, I kind of agree with Dave as far as like the writing and some scenes did seem random, but here's one thing that I thought, and, and I, I, I admit when I say this, I know I sound like the time period of I am watching this. The whole time I was like, what is this about? Because Roman Polanski made this movie after Chinatown. He could do whatever he wants. And he cast himself in this movie as a pole living in France and everybody is trying to get him out. And the, uh, the only other person he can relate to is the mother. And she's also an outsider. She's not French. She's also Polish, Russian. She's, she's probably an Eastern European Jew, maybe Central European Jew. So, uh, you know, and, and this, this comes up, this is in the writing. So I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away as far as that. We can talk more about that with spoilers, but the whole time I'm like, I can tell this is a personal movie. And regardless of the little things here and there, I was hooked the whole time because that build takes a long time. The spiral, whatever you want to call it, it mm. takes a really long time. You have to be patient. But I love movies of the 70s. I love when actors feel like they can bump into something, look at it, and then look back up and keep going. Whereas I think movies and TV shows now are so fucking clean that it's like they're sh- they're showing me everything. There's no room to breathe in anything compared to the 70s. I think the 70s is the best era for film, acting-wise, directing, et-, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a lot of reason that Chinatown, The Godfather, Star Wars, Jaws, um, um, Mean Streets. I think there's a reason that all these movies came out the same decade, Dog Day, et cetera. But this... Got me. I still think there were some scenes where I was like, interesting, weird. I don't know about that. And there's scenes that I forgot in hindsight, but there's so much that's going to stay with me that I, I give this a full endorsement. Yeah. The experience overall is still. <clears throat> and the ending. I love the ending. I love Dave. I know I get it. I kind of mm. get it. But at the same time, I'll just say this because it's not a spoiler. I'll just say end, end now, end right now, end. Yeah. And they did it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Oh, see, I was saying it about two minutes before you were. <laughs> Buzz the that motherfucker. Was, <laughs> the ending was crazy. All right, we're well, going to go into spoilers. Let's turn on spoilers so we can talk about it, yeah. Spoilers please, are going on. If you haven't seen it's this yet and you're just listening, thank you. That's really kind. But please, please <laughs> watch this movie. It's really fucking interesting. It's really interesting. And it really yeah. beckons. If you made Chinatown... The next movie you make, I mean, come on, you could do anything, right? Like, it's so interesting. I mean, yeah, but Mike Myers made Austin Powers and followed that up with The Love Guru, and look what happened. <laughs> you love same the Love same Guru. thing. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't direct it. He didn't write it. And Austin Powers is in Chinatown. I mean, like, there's a <laughs> reason. That's that's, after The that's Godfather, really it's the conversation and apocalypse now you know like after star wars it's okay the second star wars but you know like when you after mean streets it's taxi driver like come on there's a pattern i i know what you're saying but i also feel like um i didn't carry that into this movie and i think just thinking about his filmography leading up to chinatown and and after chinatown for the most part i think the bulk of his his work is not fixated on larger themes i think there are I think because he concentrates on, uh, or larger issues, I think because he concentrates on very intimate stories that are usually very psychological, there's so much room for critics and scholars to pull larger themes of experience and you know compare them to might be what be happening in different things of the world. But I, I feel like Chinatown was actually the biggest coincidence of him actually making a movie that was grounded in a very real issue. Mm. Uh, he didn't really, up until that point, he didn't really try to tell stories that were 
literal metaphors or allegory or or literally dealing with those kinds of subject so, matter. So we're in France, we're in Paris, and everybody has an American English accent. Oh yeah, it's the most multicultural except, fucking Paris I've ever seen. Except multicultural, it's America. It's the most American yeah. Paris I've ever seen. They're smoking Marlboros. Obviously, that's th- this means something. And obviously, the only other person that's getting kicked out of a building, the only other person that he can relate to in a way speaks the same language of him, which is Polish. Obviously she, you know, like you don't, so would you think these were just thrown in for, that's not the central theme? Do you, do you think that's not something to pull? Like obviously hmm. a film scholar should jump at that. I'm not I saying I'm a film scholar because I did. No, 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 but, no, no, I, but I was, was saying, he, I was like, I mean, what is her the, accent? The, and I'm like, wait, question, why is nobody speaking French except for like one The question to be person? asked is, was he seeing her at all as she really was? Because when he talks to the woman who brings the petition over, she says, no, he has a, she has a son. So was he mm. seeing what his mind was telling him to see and that woman never existed? But why, did, but why was the person that never existed his accent? Because it was a creation of his own mind. Dude, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question, but I, I think that question exists more in film criticism than it does in the experiencing of watching it. I feel like if you allow yourself to just like feel what happens to you when you're in his perspective, I think that's the best way to squeeze all the juice from the experience you're probably right, dude. He's, he's really intelligent. I'm sure he did all those things for a reason and cast all those people for a reason. But I don't know if those reasons should intellectually, or excuse me, I don't know if they should emotionally affect your watch. I think intellectually, there's yeah, probably, probably a lot to be said mm-hmm. about um, immigration and identity of citizenship in in Europe, especially, they, like those identity yeah. issues. The most counterfeitable I mean, papers I've ever seen, by the way. Did you staple that picture I, yeah. on that paper? I did. I did. Sure. I did write a note. It's like sometimes a person can be so deep in their thought and meaning that they forget other people have to watch their film as well. And I'm wondering, does a lot of the <laughs> deep things that he's put in this just skate by people who? But but I'm saying I don't think they need to. I was just about to say I think a better question to ask is could this story exist anywhere? And for me, it could. I yeah. think that whole this premise of being gaslit into thinking that That's this tenant. Sure, yeah is you know this whole world is against you and it doesn't really matter what their you know what their accents are or their motivations are uh i think this i think this story could exist anywhere and that's that's for me why i yeah. was really clinging I mean, to he, it i was like just, he wasn't just gaslit. the psychology of it that was that was his insanity like he was it was his paranoia there was no gaslighting he was seeing it they weren't doing it it was his well, paranoia that was. I guess, so. that was, that I guess was we doing can that. say that based on the ending, but when you're watching it, you don't necessarily know. Well, that. That, that's the thing. That, that was one of the things I was like, I felt like they did this backwards because when they, they revealed it, <laughs> like you get this first thing where she's the woman tries to strangle him in the hallway and it cuts to a shot of him and no one's there. And they kind of gave the gag away right there and then. I, I feel like it would have been, I would have enjoyed it more if you didn't know which way it was going. The whole way through, it's like, is he seeing this or is it like, is it I real? Guess is I, it not? I, even at that point, I still wasn't sure what was going on. I wasn't sure if that was like, is this a ghost story? Like what? I, I don't think they had given us enough like of a sense of what the rules were for this reality. Like no one, that's, that woman in particular was never seen by anyone else in his presence. Like I, I so I thought maybe this is supposed to be like, he's in a fucking haunted apartment. And mm. this is like a haunting. I mean, coming mm. off of Rosemary's Baby, I, I, you know, who knows? I mean, so I guess at that point, I still wasn't sure if it was him or if it was his environment. Then that that might be the hidden genius of this, that we can take three different perspectives away completely like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, which is, which is probably like, like how masterful is that, that we can all agree that we it witnessed or hopefully experienced some kind of, um, a person going through a psychological breaking point, but the actual functioning of that or motivation for that, you, you can't really put a pin or put your you know finger on it. It could have been all of these things, hmm. but I still felt like he effectively like opened the door for you to have your experience with him. And David makes me think about cinematography. Um, the language of playing with subjectivity versus objectivity with how they started, like starting with that point, when he, the woman strangling him in the hallway, there's nobody there. I feel like the way they started straddling that in terms of the way they filmed certain sequences moving forward, by the time we got to the end, where you're saying you experienced it as though when I was outside of it and I saw what the tenants were seeing, the fellow tenants, I felt like that was the objective truth. I wasn't sure about that because I feel like they had done a good job with the subjectivity of me thinking, I don't know if that objective truth is just his doubt in his own truth. Mm. <laughs> like he was like well, thinking the, that maybe there's, I don't the know. One, the one thought I had, um, and it comes back to an episode we did recently, or a couple of months ago, um, how much did this movie influence Bo is Afraid? Because mm, sure. I was yeah. definitely I drawing some Ari parallels. Aster, yeah. too. I, I thought yeah. Ari Aster. Actually, for me, like, Midsummer and even Hereditary, just like that, like, is this really happening kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I was thinking of that. In a, I didn't want to bring it up, but I was thinking of that in a way where I was like, why am I having so much more fun watching this? I was thinking about my complaint about his movies and why I felt like there was a catharsis and a, and a joy to getting to watch this play out that I have never experienced in Ari Aster's films. No offense to the, the modern master. Um, there was almost like an absurdity. I always feel like I'm allowed to smile when I'm watching Polanski. And I feel the opposite of that when I'm I watching. Like, there is some Polanski black comedy movies. stuff in here. There is some I, black I, I, comedy yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like Polanski doesn't like get someone to absolutely destroy themselves on camera once every film like Ariasta does. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's the kind of his thing. It's like, it's... yeah, you just just have a complete fucking meltdown on camera, will you? <laughs> I know what you mean there. I think it's I think it's a good comparison. I thought about it all I think all four of us thought about it at one point consciously while we were watching it. Hmm. I mean, he's kind of he's probably the modern master at the the deconstruction of of psychology that is, is if the end point is is fear and psychosis or doubt or suicide or mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh <laughs> I know what you guys are saying. I just wanted we, to point I mean, out. We, when we got, to the, we got to the point where he started putting on the stockings, I'm like, all right, we're introducing gender identity now. Like, yeah, and, we're, and, like and, going and then crazy, I realized yeah. what they were going for. And it was like, okay. That wasn't a, that wasn't a thing then though. It you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, we have to remember what that was at the time. And drag was fine. That was the actually 70s. the point narratively that I wanted to ask you guys about. That was the moment where I really just threw my hands up. Because I wasn't quite sure how he got from from where he was before that. When he got the shoes, to, the shoes came in. Where he was like, you won't beat me. And he decided to dress up of his own accord. <laughs> it wasn't like they made him do it. No. And at that point, but he I was thought like, he, he thought they did. But really I guess, was, but I just, He thought they were turning her, him into her. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't I mean, know if he did. I don't know if he did by that point, though. I don't know if he did he that. He wakes up and he realizes I've put on some makeup. 
and he's thinking, oh, they may, they're making me do this. Like they're and, literally and like, like, like hypnotized yeah. in the middle of the night. And his answer was, I'll beat them at their own game. I'll fucking go out and get the, <laughs> That's I'm going to go That was a little card. strange. It was a little strange. Yes. But in a, I'm saying in a good way though, I knew yeah. what, I knew I was in the hands of a master because at that point, I don't think it made sense to me. Not that it had to make sense yet, but that was the first time where I realized this is no longer making sense and I don't care. That was I the still first feel like point. I'm, that it it didn't was make for sense. me anyway. It was for yeah. me where I felt like he was kind of, whether or not you agree with the writing of it, he was kind of declaring what was and wasn't making sense up until that point to himself, to friends. There's something happening in my apartment. There are people, he was saying things that were yeah, happening. Dude, he was making this, observations out loud. This sets up the biggest mystery very early on. Why did he tell her he had a phone call to make when he really just had to take a piss? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a good point because really like, I just remembered I have to make a phone call and then walks right past the phone to take a piss I'm like is that meant to be some sort of hang up or like Ooh, I'm not making phone gags funny. It's but it's a, it's a very subtle nod he, he couldn't couldn't tell this woman he was going to take a piss had to tell her he did had to anybody take a phone else call. did anybody else think that when he first the first few times he was seeing the people in the restroom across the courtyard that they were paintings. They were so um, still. Yeah, there no. There was, was part of me that the paintings in where? Was, Wait, the in her in the, the apartment. In the no, no, in the he, bathroom the across from his. That he saw people from his standing totally still. Oh yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Do, yeah, that was yeah. That one. The first time it got me when he was moving the armoire, and he so the second time he saw the person, I was mm. like, "That's a painting." And it still worked for me. <laughs> Again, that's how good the movie. Huh. I was like, I'm not even sure if there was anybody in there or not, or if you if it was just like the idea of like what happened. I don't know. Images inside your mind's eye, yeah. but much like most of um, the movie, especially up until like the last I don't know 20 minutes, I truly didn't know what to think. And I think that's why I enjoyed this so much. Is so many of the Descent into Madness movies you can see the breadcrumbs being laid out for you and they're very digestible. And you're like, yeah, that's, this is a point where someone is going to tell this main character that that didn't actually happen and they're going to struggle with it. And you can really, you can really like digest it as a viewer. See, that's, that's, that's I did not feel that way about this one. They, I, as soon as they went for that shot where her hands around his throat and then she wasn't there, Mm -hmm. my brain locks straight onto all of this, like the, the, members of the building trying to get him is in his head oh. it's all paranoia it became it's, concrete none of it, for you at none that of, yeah yeah none uh, of it okay. is actually happening he just thinks it is and i mean who hasn't fallen for that sort of shit like you know my workplace is out to get me or whatever and you build up this whole mythology and then it, you know eventually you get taken to hr for punching someone and they're like no no we didn't even think about you sorry i've said too much <laughs> so people the people in the car who hit him did seem pretty nice they seemed very yeah. nice yeah i love and, uh, how they chose someone that looked pretty similar to his landlord for that person so that's yeah, that's the yeah, kind of thing i was talking about where even i yeah. was like wait is that actually him and it kept going back and forth it's oh, there was, it, there i think was there was definitely... enough subtlety for me it's where I was questioning it and I didn't feel like it was, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be. And I think that's why I enjoyed this. And with the wife and the wife too. Same. Yeah. And and I I think part of that, and I'm a big proponent of going into movies as cold as possible. I did not Hmm. know this was a descent into madness movie. I really didn't know what this was going to be. 
And I, I feel like because of that, they did such a subtle job with some of it where like when he first finds the tooth in the yeah, wall. I mean, for the first 45 minutes Jesus. of the film, they did no job at all. There's no descent into madness there. That's just slice exactly. of life. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Because so when it when it happens, this thing goes off the rails at like the, just after the midpoint, and it goes off the rails off a fucking cliff. Of what the fuck is now going on? Would you yeah. guys have put the tooth back in the wall? <laughs> nah. That might be the beginning like, of his madness. That was a strange <laughs> was choice. It. It's like oh, that's, oh no. Okay, wait. If we're going to talk about strange choices, I don't have much experience too. in Europe, but. I'm pretty sure it's creepy as fuck universally going to visit the comatose former tenant of the apartment of the you're about to rent. Well, I don't know. He's walked into this hospital with this woman to see if she might well, die. We don't know. If she's <laughs> Straight up, there's comatose? something not right there. I don't, I don't know if they say, but I, I'm sure she was, I'm, she it, was in a coma till the day before they say that. Then yeah, that's a little strange, but uh, it is weird that he rented the apartment after. No, he rented the apartment before. No, he inspected oh, he the apartment uh, and then went to see her to see what her condition was, and then she died, and he got the apartment. Yeah, that was that was the general order of things. Right. But that brings me round to uh, that shot in the hospital, um, and I know I bagged this out at the start, but like I said, there are some gems hidden in there. It's not easy to communicate like extreme pain with just a shot, mm. but that oh, woman that, wrapped up yeah. the the, the, yeah. the actor wrapped up in uh, all the bandages. Oh yeah, dude. She, they were hurting. They were hurting. And it, it came across loud and clear. And then we're, considering where it swung to at the end, mm-hmm. I was like, are we in a yeah. fucking Star Trek time loop? But yeah, it's <laughs> it, like I did like Maybe. that little bookend. But again, you know, it's fucking this, brilliant. Dude, that play, scream was she's, terrifying. Yeah, when she started, I literally looked at scream. Elizabeth and I was like, that's my kind of filmmaking. And then it ends with, I mean, it's just like. <laughs> well, it has to. Yeah. Because this is the thing like, in the, in the, 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 um, the, the fuck prestige where it's like, well, we can see what it's like when Hugh Jackman dies, but then there's a new Hugh Jackman, but that Hugh Jackman's dead. Hugh yeah, Jackman dies every time. And so I'm glad they ended it there. Cause if I saw what happened after, I'd be like, that's bullshit because hmm. this person I've been following dies there, realizes there's a loop and there's nothing they can do to do anything about it. It's just going to be a loop, 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 which yeah. is another reason that I'm like, why, what yeah. was he going for? Cause it's they possible. Fucking Donnie he just, us at the end. Well, actually it's Donnie possible. Took that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The way it reads to be, to be fair to you all, the way it reads is he just decided he wanted to do a movie about paranoia and all this other shit may have been, well, what do I got? It's like, well, I know this paranoia. I know that paranoia. Everybody knows this paranoia. So let's just do this and turn it into hmm. this paranoia story. I it mean, again, very possible that that's what this was. However, it's also possible that it's not. So even though what we saw on the screen is probably just, let's just do paranoia that leads to spiraling into death. And a well, again, by that point, he'd had, a full, he'd had a full break. So when he's laying there all bandaged up in the fucking hospital, He's seeing himself from the earlier scene, but yeah. there, there's nothing there. I guess unless he's try- unless he's trying to make yeah. a bigger point yeah. that wasn't as much a part of our journey as it probably should have been. I think if he had made a bigger point, though, I would have been. Le- I guess I'm still saying that the way to get to the bigger point is through the smaller experience. I think it always is. But it could have been yeah. more specific, if because what we're all saying is it's so universal that it just wasn't probably specific enough. That it was kind of general, and he was kind of Shaun of the Dead in some scenes, which is great. A lot of those, like, oh, this is happening. Oh, that. Oh, this. Oh, somebody picked up the garbage on the way. 
oh, I like shoes now. Like, but there's not like there's not, the through line isn't easy to thread. Well, you know? I, so I, it's the, like, the funny thing is, mm-hmm. like, we're we're sitting agree. here, four it, four of us are sitting here trying to make sense out of an insanity. I'm saying it. Yeah. I'm saying it worked. The through <laughs> line, the through line wasn't the stuff. The through line wasn't the the the, the, the specific in the scene, but there's the character itself was just an observer. So, you think he was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The character was an observer, even though the movie was about the character. And maybe again, maybe that's a point that was made. But whatever, it fucking worked. Maybe I had, I had nightmares on the plane. So you guys fuck yourself. <laughs> what on that, on that note? What do you guys think was the scariest moment? I, I'll tell you mine. When he's after he jumps out the window and he's backing away as the people, as he as what he sees the tongue. And yeah, the snake. Yeah, Holy she has snake shit. eyes too. Yeah. How did they do that? Yeah, I rewound that. That was that so scary. Was incredible. I mean, that was context and a piece of felt in the mouth because they like they used shadow to hide the mechanism. I'm guessing. It was like, but fantastic. it's such a simple trick. Like, just sidelight the eyes to it's... make them glow and like shadow the mouth so you can't see the actual mechanism. All you get is the so much scarier yeah. than anything they would have done nowadays. Because because you just catch a glimpse of it. It's like, uh, uh, what was that fucking movie? Um, there's a movie with Keanu Reeves where he works for a law firm. The it's, firm. It's not the firm. Oh, it is the, the firm. Okay, no, the, it's the, the, devil's scene, the devil's advocate. advocate. You're right. Devil's yeah, yeah, yeah. advocate. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where the wife's putting on the the dress, yeah. and as she yeah. drops it, just you see oh, these yeah. fucking demon faces in her side. The yeah. first time I saw that, it was so quick and so subtle. I had to skip it back and go, "Did I just see what I thought I saw?" Mm. And I yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's what, what this was at the end of this. It was like, did I, did I just they have fucking snake eyes? Like, yeah. yeah. There's a, there are a few, I mean, just like masterclasses and building tension sequences. Do you guys remember when he goes to her funeral in the church, when he keeps looking at the crucifix of Jesus and he starts sweating and sweating and he pulls out a cigarette. This, this is so good. This is a good acting moment too. I'm sure it was directed. I'm sure it was on the page. I bet he didn't just do this. You're going to hate me, but I had to rewind that because I fell asleep. Oh, come on. He pulls out a cigarette and he's, are you like, is he going to light a cigarette in church? And then he realizes, what am I doing? I can't light a cigarette in church. And, and then he looks back to no, Jesus. Somebody else's like, apartment, knock yourself out. Just some stranger's place. Yeah. <laughs> church Sorry. Oh, well, I mean, it's fucking Europe. Of course you can. I thought that was a brilliant <laughs> sequence. Um, it was the, the 70s. The one I was you talking about everywhere. in the opening. I think the most brilliant sequence of this movie is, is the most intense sequence other than the ending. When he wakes up sweaty and when he reaches over for the glass of water and it's a painting, you don't know it's a painting, but he he reaches through yeah, the bottle cool. of water. That's, that's, cool. that's, that's incredible. And he's moving through the hallway, and you finally see the bathroom with the hieroglyphs, and he sees himself. And then he stumbles, and he sees himself in the apartment looking that's at him cool. in the bathroom. That's and he cool. stumbles back to his house. That stumble back into his apartment, the way that they tilt up on that wide lens in the hallway and then cut to him sitting in the chair with a large-scale apartment. So he approaches the window, and it looks like he's shrinking. Yeah. I mean, that is just, that is just fucking A-plus mm. filmmaking. I mean, I was just like on the edge of my seat. But yeah. also, again, not to reference those other movies, but I was smiling while I was watching. I was like, this is so freaky that it's I, not just anxiety. Did, There's something yeah. heightened about it. I mean, there it. were it's other things just, as well, like they utilized blocking, like blocking with the camera, keep, keeping the camera in a singular pot and just panning and the actors moved within the scenery. And it, it I mean, with this that one, was those, fantastic. with also the, this one, they also lit 
um, they used a lot more lighting than uh, he normally does so that they could bring the depth of field out hmm. so that you could mm. see deep, you didn't lose detail in the apartment. The, not a lot was blurred in the backgrounds in a lot of the shots. So that the, like the set became its, its own character because it was always there looming in the background. So there was a lot of a lot of subtle stuff then there with that, but like that also utilizes having that wide depth of field means they can move forward and backwards in blocking, and you don't have to rack focus anything. Like you just like you've got all that space yeah. to play with, and they they did utilize that very very well, and it I made it made the- for long takes that move through different rooms, and it was just one take, and they never moved the camera. Aside, aside from there the are pan. so many times too where they. Where they really, I mean, and he's the, he's the king of it. Before Aronofsky, you know, and other people picked up a similar language, just putting a wide lens in people's faces, just distorting yeah. people and mm. putting groups into single yeah. shots and moving in and out of large compositions so that you arrive in a place like that where somebody's like uncomfortably tight and the environment around them and their face are just a little bit stretched. Um, elements like... Uh, the the new the new plumbing the noise mm. you know that the pipes make the payoff at the end when he's bleeding you know when he turns on the not at the very end but like the second to last sequence when he turns on the pipes and there's just so much noise happening and he's convinced they're coming to get him you know when they're playing the the kickball scene with the human head I mean yeah that there's just the so head, many things yeah that was fucked yeah. Wasn't that good? There's just so many things that he planted that, again, they do. I know what you guys are saying. They do feel disconnected, but there was some kind of uh, there was some kind of glue to the emotional experience that really they really overcame all of that for me. I didn't care about that at all. Um, and I know what you're saying about some of the writing, but some of it I thought was really excellent. I liked. Maybe you didn't, but I really liked the um, sequence where he's too drunk to have sex. And he's asked her that monologue where he's yeah, like, yeah. when do you stop calling yourself I? When does a man no longer become a that's, man? That's mm, the only yeah. that's the only piece of writing I liked, but I still found it pretentious as fuck. It was I have a feeling that was lifted <laughs> directly from the novel, because it's based on a book. Hmm. It felt like it was maybe written on an on a page first, but um pretentious as fuck. Okay. All right, Dave. I talk about this all the time in school because I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. When Elizabeth and I were watching this and we were watching Vertigo a couple weeks ago, every time we watch movies that are from a time period where they got away with the artifice in their language, in the expression, visually, I always just, I'm so jealous. Like they were able to get away with things that were just so artificial because everybody knew it was a movie and you were allowed to be expressive. Now you have to be realistic with like everything or else people think it's pretentious or unbelievable or, you know, they're just trying too hard or whatever. I just feel like we can't get away with as much expression as they were allowed to get away with. And I don't know, maybe yeah. that's one reason why I found a movie like you this so right. refreshing just because nobody makes stuff like that anymore. It's hard. Yeah. Oh, they do, but nobody gets to see it. <laughs> that's the hard that, part. I think Bardo, the hardest part. Right? Bardo. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody watches shit like that. And there's, anyway. yeah. What's the other one that's coming out soon uh, with Emma Stone in it? Did you get the trailer for the, that when you went and saw the Largos? Oh, it's, it's, is... a new, it's a new, it's a new Largos film, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, his Yorg, new Yorgos film. Lantern. Yeah, I have a funny feeling that's Yorgos. one that's going to be like creatively expressive, but no one's going to go see it. I hope or it'll be a it. fucking people... cult classic. I don't know. A lot of people went to go see the favorite, but I know yeah. what you mean. Like, there's going to be some, some real, you know, highbrow filmmaking in that film, and 
I'm sure a lot of people are just going to think it's a uh, hoity-toity. But... They're going to think it's men, and they're not going to go. No, I oh, like men. God, we like men. men. We like men. But no, they're going to think it's um <laughs> Mother. Her mother? Yeah. Yeah. Our, yes. yeah. yeah. I haven't watched that yet. I gotta, I, I gotta watch that. Could you guys not? I could not stop thinking about Darren Aronofsky when I was watching this. Like, one of his biggest influences, I think. I don't. I've never heard him say that out loud, but it's been, I thought it's about been him a lot a while lot. I was watching this. I've seen Kafka come up as like a a, a comp for this, you know. Hmm. But hmm. yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, for sure. All right. All right. For, oh, I'm so far from my microphone now, guys. <laughs> what a conversation about the tenant. From 1976, Roman Polanski starring himself. <laughs> One more time. Five and three, five and three, short king, Roman Polanski. All right, people. It is now that time in this episode, like all of our episodes, where we go around the horn with a quick round of what you've been watching, where we tell you what you've been watching and give you our recommendations for the week. We like to start with Dave. Dave. I finally saw the creator. Mm. Oh my there? God. You've been talking yeah. about this. Yeah, I, I've been waiting because I'm a sucker for new sci-fi whenever they like bring out new sci-fi. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great story. I would compare it to District 9 in tone. Um, and I yeah, I just sat back and I had enjoyed the journey. So yeah, if you when it drops on streaming, definitely give it a watch. And also I've been keeping up with Gen V, which is still holding up. And uh, yeah. What is... Okay, just Gen- a little bit, a little bit of yeah. What I Gen V is the boys' spinoff. Shit, fucking behind. Wait, I just went on. I was just on Prime, and I was like looking for shit. And... Yeah, Gen V is sitting right there. There's like four episodes, five episodes out. Well, I got some time before the end of the season, then, huh? There you go. Nice. Uh... And it's already been renewed for season two, so yay. The says, Brandon, did you see anything? <laughs> I've seen plenty. I'll give you guys a few of them. So given that it's Halloween season, I've been watching some horror movies and there's a couple I wanted to recommend. The first one, it's a movie called The Ritual. I think it's from 2015 or mm-hmm. so, around that time period. It's a David Bruckner film. He's the guy who made the Hellmaker, Hellmaker, Hellraiser last yep. year, the 2022 one. He also made a movie Ooh. called The Night House in 2020 and dude, this thing blew me away. It's on I think Hulu. I couldn't so make it Netflix original. Oh, it's Netflix. That's right. Hmm. 2017. Dude, this one, this one got me. It's like, uh, it's like Antlers meets Midsommar or something like that. Oh, I like it. I'm in. Jesus. I like it. Big fan. <laughs> it has some of the it's most haunting forest <laughs> imagery ever put on film. And it's very, it's very tastefully done. I, I can't say enough good things about it. And then the other one I wanted to mention was this movie called Haunt, which is, you look like you've seen this, Jeff. Yeah, I've seen, yeah. I feel like I've seen so many trailers for shit that I want to watch. Dude, this thing, I was literally like on the edge of my seat the entire time. It's a haunted house kind of, not haunted house, but like a, uh, what do you call it when you like pay to go into a, a house that people have turned into a haunted house? But this thing like takes a fucking dark turn. Anyway, it's a super suspenseful, very well done, tight little hour and a half movie. That one I think is on Hulu. And then also I caught the Claude Rains 1933 Invisible Man, Hmm. which was, dude, it was so good. I think it's probably my favorite of like the Universal Monsters era kind of movies that I'm sure blew people the fuck away when they saw that. The effects actually hold up pretty good. Have Have you seen Hollow Man? 
oh wow way back like when it came out i think i saw it that was a vicious twist on that movie Uh, apparently the one they made one or remake recently yeah uh, we we reviewed it you did all right it's like our third episode or something maybe Mm -hmm. it was way back yeah we had to refilm we had to re-record 45 minutes of that episode too (laughs) yes (laughs) good times awesome brandon Awesome. John, what do you say? I, I need to watch more things, but the little bit I got to watch this week, we were just continuing with Downton Abbey. I'm almost finished. <laughs> I hope Elizabeth makes it to is this it part still of good? And, and hears Where the you excitement are, is it in still your good? voice. <laughs> is, it still, is it still good? Um, it's It has its it has its moments. <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm hitting you anyway. That says it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's very soap opera after they get to the point where we were joking about after those characters die or leave the show. It feels like something else now. Who doesn't anyway, love a good vindictive writing out, though? Because yeah. I downloaded so much shit to watch. I was asking you about it. I was ready to start Foundation. I was ready to start all this shit. And Because uh, I traveled twice in the past two weekends, and I'm very tired about it. And the only movie that I saw, the only thing that I saw, those original content or IP, was The Intern. Which is that Robert De Niro, Nancy De Niro. Myers movie? From Nancy Myers, yeah, Anne Hathaway. Nice, nice little rom com. Um, I would say it's a little soft. That's what I would say. I would say it's too soft. And, soft is uh, normal, Nancy Myers. Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, okay. And De, and De Niro, uh, I don't know if he's good at, at at being like a punch cut actor. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, uh, oh, uh, De Niro, let's make it seem like you just smelled something funny. You know, kind of like, <laughs> oh. They said this. Be like, mm. I don't like the little, like kind of like the cutaways. I don't know if she knew it. I don't know if she knew what tone she was in for a while. I watched it with Angela when we were talking about. She loves the Nancy. We love. We talked about Devil Wears Prada. We talked about. We talked about a couple of these, and I was like, I wanted to watch the interview, and I, ultimately, I'm glad I saw it. But it's it's just too soft, and I don't think she knew. I've been, I, that's like one of your only movies I've never seen, and I've heard it was really good. So I'll keep that in mind. Cool. Go into it with really high expectations. Yeah. But I know what you mean about De Niro. I don't know if he belongs in a a cutty film that's going to try to I mean, capture one moment. <laughs> when, of it's, him. when it's it's him not really and, his thing. When it's him and Anne Hathaway just talking, and he and she's the one that has to do all this stuff, and he's you know playing it cool. Fine, you know, great. Jeff, there are moments at the beginning of Killers, that conversation that's in the trailer where him and Leo are just talking. Yeah. It goes on for so long at some <laughs> points. Sometimes they just don't cut away, and it's just De Niro like in Mean Streets, just. Just improving with whatever fucking happens moment to moment. It's yeah. It's breath. It's did really, he, really. Did, it's, did he take some? Did he take some yeah. Adderall before filming or what? Did he, does he pull um, a gun on him? I'm not sure. <laughs> Great dialect work in this. I don't have nobody yeah. to borrow money from. Um, guys, where are we gonna? Where we spin the wheel now? Announce later. Let's uh, let's spin the wheel now. All right. Let's see what we're gonna talk. We're gonna, what year we're gonna talk about next week. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. <laughs> 1991. Nice. Oh shit. Yeah. What a fucking year. Valentine's Fuck Day. Yeah. What a year. 1991. Reversal of Fortune. I'm going for it. Was that 91? Shit. Or did he win the Oscar in 1991? We 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 stopped the episode now, but I don't want to say I don't want to be an asshole. Reversal of Jeremy Irons. Oh, it's not. No, the episode's still running, dude. Fuck, it's 1991, the Oscar 1991. Fuck. Nobody's hit stop. All right. This is all going out. 1991. Um, This is Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so we'll see what else came out this year. Can't wait. Can't wait to choose a movie. Guys, you're the best. 
Brandon, thank you so much for being here. Everybody listen to Nessient part. What, what are we on? Part six? What, 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 what <laughs> some, some interludes. Couple Can we talk about in- your background? I know I know it's from, I, well, I don't know it's from anything. I thought it was Lord of the Rings, but it, it looks is. like. It is. Hmm. It, it is. looks like planet Earth's vagina right behind your head. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you, film fans, so much. (laughs) We'll see you next week. I just pulled the handbrake on so many jokes.